1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish.
2: And this
0: is the Don't Give a 50 Podcast. Let's make getting old... The new gold as you say. I like that. I like
1: that one too. That was mine, (laughs) really. That was mine.
0: Hi, 50-ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50 like us. Sending out a huge thank you to 50-isher Trish. Not this Trish, but another Trish. Great name though, Trish. Great name. bias absolutely loving the podcast mel and trish laughter is most definitely the best medicine i thought i would send through some suggestions for your show makeup for 50 issues and sex during and after menopause i'll be sharing the love of your podcast and continue to love getting older so thank you so much trish yeah, for the very awesome. kind feedback yeah and awesome suggestions for future episodes talking so, about sex grief we're to it what next? What next? <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> okay, we'd so love to hear more from you. So please DM via Instagram or Facebook or email us at hello at au. And like Trish, we'd love it if you could continue to share our podcast as well. So today we're going into areas that we haven't been before. Well, we very nearly <laughs> went there with Trish's famous self-waxing Brazilian story. <laughs> but we didn't quite get there. I'm never going to live it down. You won't. That's very famous. Anyway, it's about change. Today's episode is about change. As we age, there are obviously so many changes going on with our bodies. The aging process alone is enough, but then the hormone fluctuations of perimenopause and menopause wreak havoc. Today, we're going to go down the rabbit hole of what happens to our whole... Trish, you wrote that line, so I, I just, just had wrote to read I that... So Melinda had to read it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try that again. What happens to our muscles, ligaments, and especially our pelvic floor? Another one of those taboo topics that no one seems to compare notes on, discuss, or prepare you for. What's coming? <laughs> So today we are delighted to have Stephanie Hart in to chat with us today. Well, she's on Zencastr, but so she's not literally in here with us, but we can see her, which is awesome.
3: So I don't think there's room. <laughs> no,
0: it's pretty small in here, darling. Yeah. Stephanie is a physiotherapist who graduated from the University of Queensland with honours in 2011 and began working in children's continents and women's health in 2013. She is passionate about empowering patients to optimise their health and wellbeing. being She loves the saying, it's never too late, I like that one too, just quietly, and welcomes any and all questions to do with pelvic health and continence. She has special interest areas in women's health that include bladder and bowel conditions and continence, pelvic floor, muscle rehabilitation, pelvic pain, prolapse and pessaries. I hope I said that right, Stephanie, pregnancy and postnatal rehabilitation, peri and postmenopause, breast cancer rehabilitation, including lymphedema, blocked ducts and mastitis. Stephanie is currently studying her master's in clinical physiotherapy and joins us today. Hello and welcome, awesome Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Oh, thank you so much oh for having Oh my gosh, me. it's great to have you here. Um, we need to let our 50s tribe know early on straight up Trish that Stephanie is considerably younger than us. <laughs> yes. She is a ripe old age of 32 um, and she knows more about our
2: JJ's than we well, do. She does.
0: <laughs> she does. And so this leads us to our first question and that is that we're really interested to know how a young woman um, becomes so interested in this specific area of women's health. So was there a particular aha moment that inspired you to take this path?
3: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Yes, I think so. So I guess I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school. I think I went through all different QCAT applications and then I pulled out entirely and I just went and worked in a law firm. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. And that didn't work out. So I went and did physio, not really thinking I would end up, I didn't even know that a women's health physio was a thing. But I guess after you graduate and start working, you just, you, you start listening to people's stories and and you start going, reflecting on your own personal experiences and then at some point, I'm like, actually, I need to go and see a women's health physio. And I was very young needing a women's health physio and mine was for pain. So I needed to see a specialist pelvic floor physio for pain reasons, but it just, it was quite life-changing and I didn't even think that there would be anything that could have helped. So I just went, oh, okay, I'm going to follow this and once you start you just don't stop so it's a rabbit hole you start learning and then you realize how much you don't know and so you learn more and here we are 10 years later. It is
2: really so fascinating isn't it what Mm. can be done and I think that's people don't realize Mm. they don't realize that that you know they think of physiotherapy but they don't actually realize that there's such a niche mm,
1: Good Market for yeah. women
2: to actually help with some of the symptoms that some of us just think are a part of aging, and that's we've just, just got, what got, you've got to deal, deal with it. With it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we just need to talk about it. And education is the
3: the biggest factor that um, health professionals can play. You know, sometimes we not may not be able to fix it, but we we certainly know a lot and can direct people to where they need to go to make life you know changes to their life that will help them and give them greater
2: quality of life. Okay, on that, Stephanie, mm. let's go down that rabbit hole. Yes, <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> what happens to our pelvic floor as we age? <laughs> yes, tell us.
0: I guess
3: as a bit of background, we reach skeletal maturity at around 20 to 25 years of age. And then from there, it starts to go Downhill, for lack of a better word.
2: Oh my gosh! So yeah. really, I mean, peak life for your skeletal <laughs> system is twenty-five. Yes, and
3: I'm, I'm well over that hump. So I'm <laughs> now trying to, you know, educate all women. We have to do lots to keep yes, um, yes. slippery keep slide once up. we get on the other side. Uh, so I guess with menopause, the three biggest long-term consequences are an, an increased cardiovascular risk. You get bone loss, which is that osteoporosis that you may have heard of. And vulvo-vaginal atrophy, or those genitourinary uh, could you syndrome of say menopause. Say that again,
2: a little yeah. bit slower
0: it's, and backwards. It's backwards.
3: Um, vulvo-vaginal atrophy. So if we think okay. of, um, anatomically, the the vulva and then the vagina. Mm-hmm. And so yep. atrophy can sound like a very scary word, um, and it kind of does. It is a bit scary. And what's happening is that as you go through menopause. Your oestrogen is going down and down, so your ovaries aren't producing that and secreting that oestrogen into your circulating blood flow. Mm. And so once you've had that last period and you are postmenopausal, you haven't had a period for 12 months, you are postmenopause. Oh,
2: and that is so frustrating because I keep thinking, yeah, no, period. And then all of a sudden, there'll Ooh, be some there is of, again. <laughs> like, Damn. <laughs> Do, you Do you not, not be, uh, just go. You'll go so straight young. back to go. Do
0: not go, collect $200. Yeah. You're so young, Trish. You're still getting them. So young.
3: Oh, Sorry. Dear. No, that's okay. That's um, happy to follow any rabbit hole conversation. <laughs> yeah, there might be a few today. Um, and the reason that's so important to understand is because there are estrogen receptors, so little things that bind estrogen, and they are located in your clitoris, in your pelvic floor muscles themselves in the vaginal epithelium which is like the lining of your vagina and that's actually where they're in the highest densities in the vagina
2: oh my gosh yeah and I then you've got know
3: not no that yeah <laughs> yep and then you've got androgen receptors which is also bind estrogen to them and they are highest in the external genitalia Okay, so that low level of the vagina and so there's all these receptors there but there's no estrogen binding to them
0: that's, that's so naughty of evolution to do that I to know, us, isn't that it? Cruel. It's like, hang on, if we're <laughs> living a little longer. Little <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the whole oestrogen thing, like it bugs yeah. me that that happens because, yeah. you know, if we live, because we're living so, so much longer now, well, but we have all these side modern, effects. That's
2: the thing, modern medicine has. You yeah. Know, Mm. That's why we need... So, we've got a longer yeah. lifespan, but...
0: Yeah, I know, but... Poor the, little kid yeah. do the oestrogen well, for that doesn't that Why lifespan? doesn't our body just actually, has it not cottoned onto the fact that we're all living longer, so yeah, it, therefore it needs to... caught up to, with our
2: evolutionary bodies. It no. <laughs> needs yet. to
3: keep producing oestrogen. Our minds are well ahead of <laughs> what
2: it's the body's true. capable
3: of doing at the moment. True. So what that then can lead to is what we call um, the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, Okay, so you can have Sounds vaginal like
2: fun, Steph. I know.
3: This is it's always a little bit do I talk yeah. about this because it's
2: all no, a bit doom absolutely. and blue. Absolutely. No, I'm sometimes. finding it fascinating. Yeah. Knowledge is power. If we know it what is. we're talking about, yeah. then we know
3: what we're what's going on. So if you think about it, you can have vaginal symptoms and you can have urological symptoms. And so I'll just briefly go list the vaginal symptoms and then I'll list yep. the urological symptoms. And these are the yep. things that you you may notice already or you would watch out for. Um, okay, so yeah. your vaginal symptoms, the biggest one is dryness. I feel dry. It feels really dry down there. That loss of lubrication. So yeah. I just that loss of lubricating value there. Next one is, it's called dyspareunia, which means painful intercourse. So okay. when you're having penetrative intercourse, that's painful. That's a, a symptom of this
2: Urinary syndrome
3: syndrome of menopause that there's okay. that lack yep. of estrogen you can yep. get discharge or bleeding and you can get itching and burning around the vulva
2: okay mm-hmm.
3: okay and then if we think about the bladder and the urethra side of things many women report frequency we call it going to the toilet a lot they suddenly are oh my god i can't make it a couple of hours anymore i've got to go yes. more often um, oh, I'm ticking that box. <laughs> yes, yep, yeah, okay, and then with that you can My get kids other... at the shops, again, mum! <laughs> and so then some women start to experience what we call urge incontinence. So that's a little bit of leakage when they've got that urge to go and they're, they're not making it to the toilet in time. Mm-hmm. You can get um, stress incontinence, which is a different type of leakage. That's the type of leakage you get when you cough or sneeze or exercise, or run, or, run, or jump, um, because or it's, a, it's a stress on the bladder. Yeah, or laugh. Yeah. Okay. But we are encouraging mm. lots of laughing, so
1: yes, yeah, um,
3: absolutely. You, you may notice that lots of women do report um, pain or burning on urination, and unfortunately, for some women, they also get what we call cystitis. So, and recurrent cystitis, so that is inflammation within the bladder. Um, oh, so, yes, ca- can get quite painful for some women. Um, but those are some of the things that we see under this umbrella term of genitourinary syndrome of menopause.
2: Wow. Yeah. So with that step, is that something that a physio can help or is that something more GP related? Like is that um, estrogen or is it, you know, is it muscle work? What? Have, I'm on. literally a, clenching everything <laughs> as, <laughs> as soon and as we start talking, about, talking about, about physio and pelvic floor. Everyone does. Yeah. Everyone, yeah.
0: <laughs> stop I the I saw this and blow. That's, and video that's actually a that
3: was that's a really interesting comment um, because that happens a lot. So, you you your inclination is to oh my god, I've got to hold. Oh my god, I've got to hold everything. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not the answer either. <laughs>
2: But that's so true because when I went to see a female physio thinking that, you know, I wasn't doing my pelvic floor exercises, et cetera, she said that when I was training, I was actually turning them on too hard yeah. and yeah. building up the wrong muscles mm. around it. So the so main thing with, again. with those pelvic floor Very muscles. toned foo. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I saw that line from my friend. She has a very toned foo. She went for a <laughs> well, she went for a pap smear. And you know how they put that steel thing oh. in and it kept popping out. She oh. was telling the story and she also just have a very toned foot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we always knew this was gonna go south. We're south anyway.
3: We're in the well, southern territory. We're, yeah, we're below the belt, so Yes. Probably the answer to the question is both a medical medical yep. review and some med- medical help or or a good discussion with your GP about what your symptoms are, being examined is really important. So I think some women feel, oh, no, don't look, yeah, no, it's a, oh, well, you know. I know that oh, it, it can fine. be very confronting. Yeah, it yeah. can be very yeah. confronting, so it is. Yeah, I know
2: when I was first heard, you know, mm-hmm. when I first realised that there was people that specialised wholly and solely in female physio mm. is I had a really sore back and I'm sure that it's all to do with the perimenopause and you know your ligament softening and all of that but I would keep going to the chiropractor and doing all the things that I would normally do to maintain and it just was not going away yeah so then they sent me to a female physio and you know and she did have to examine me you know, So oh. they actually do an internal examination. A physio did. Yeah, and you have to you know, turn on your pelvic floor muscles and all of this. And wow. they can tell then from that whether you've got, like I didn't know if my stomach muscles were split because my son was um, 10 pound four or what was going on, but I knew that there was something not right. But she could tell all of that from there. And oh. she could tell that I was ramping on the wrong muscles the wrong way. And oh. yeah, and after that and doing my exercises yep. because... We all know, don't we, Steph, that just going to the physio doesn't help. You actually have to do the exercises. exercises. Stephanie may (laughs) be my current physio and she may be treating my sore shoulders and my plantar fasciitis (laughs) and I may be a little bit slack.
3: (laughs) We can talk about that next week.
2: Yeah, but in saying that, when I did these exercises, my lower back pain went away.
0: Well, there you go. I yeah. did not know that physios can do internal examinations. Yeah.
2: Well, they have to be specially qualified. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Which is yeah. what you're doing with your masters, isn't so it, Steph? Steph.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, so with so that, you know, you've talked about that. What other things can go wrong from a physio muscular point of view that we have to be aware of? Like, for instance, I didn't realise my sore low back was directly because of my pelvic floor muscles mm. and that, that girdle that runs around that everything holds on mm. What they explain to me is that, like, your pelvic floor, imagine like it's on a belt mm. and then when everything just starts hanging down a little bit heavier, then your back hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's why I'm not a professional. <laughs> um,
3: so I guess pelvic floor-wise we've spoken about those atrophy-type symptoms, so that's that thinning of the vaginal wall. And unfortunately, that also affects the pelvic floor muscles. So oestrogen is your power hormone of your pelvic floor, and so it takes a lot of consistent effort post-menopause to keep those pelvic floor muscles in check and, and consistently exercising them. But other things to watch out for would be I include, just did one then. Great, good job. <laughs> did you relax <laughs> properly too?
2: Yeah, well, I am now.
3: <laughs> is it's the very scary word that you've all heard of is prolapse. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I think that from the outset before I even explain what what prolapse is and means is that it's a, it is a scary word and I never ever want a patient to leave my room feeling really upset that they've been told they have a prolapse because yeah. I get it way too much where a patient walks into my room and they've been told by whoever, Dr. Google, their GP, whoever, Oh, they've got a prolapse and they are very And distressed. ladies,
2: that's something that yeah. you don't want to Google because some don't things Google. cannot be unseen. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh,
3: they have very uh, terrorising images in their mind, terrifying images in their mind, sorry, yeah. of things hanging and things, yeah. Like, it's falling out. Falling out. Um, and mm. really that's a very small percentage of patients that are dealing with yeah. those yeah. very severe symptoms of prolapse. Yeah. And so prolapse what that means is that the organs are sitting a little bit lower prolapse means slippage of organs okay right. because our vagina if you think of a hammock that yep. low point in the hammock that's your vagina <laughs> okay? okay so yeah. so yep. things are going to take the path of least resistance actually
2: it- my go- um, my gynecologist once was explaining it like a trampoline and, you know, before you have kids, you've got this nice, firm trampoline. But then, you know, after you've had a few kids, it's like all the kids have been bouncing on the trampoline for years and then it just yeah. gets a bit and sad you think of,
3: middle. And that's a good analogy to think about also because we do often blame pregnancy and childbirth. And it's true that those are the leading causative factors of prolapse. But other big lifestyle things as well can cause that trampoline to sink. How much weight are we carrying on our trampoline? Are we overweight? Okay. Should we be thinking about weight loss to help our prolapse symptoms or our our pelvic floor symptoms. That's a huge, huge contributing factor. And even small amounts of weight loss, they do this in research. So even a very small amount of weight loss completely resolves some symptoms of prolapse. That is
0: amazing. I did Mm. not know that. So Steph, what other sort of lifestyle things would contribute to uh, potentially having a prolapse?
3: Yeah. Um a history of or recurrent constipation. So we'll talk
2: the back end. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Because yes, I um, have heard that, you know, you can have a it. vaginal prolapse, but you mm. can also have where your bowel prolapses into your vagina. Mm. So poo doesn't actually go in there, but part mm. of the bowel curves in. Should do that's some interesting that's reading. That's still a
1: um,
3: <laughs> that's still a vaginal prolapse. Trisha, so yeah, okay. they talk about your vagina basically has a front wall and a back wall and a roof. Okay. Yeah, yep. Your bladder sits in, in front of the front wall mm-hmm. and yep. your rectum sits behind the back wall. The back
1: wall, yeah. Yep.
3: And so you can have movement of the front wall or the back wall.
2: Okay, and you can have gotcha. an
3: anterior vaginal prolapse, which is the bladder sitting a bit lower, or yep. you can have a posterior vaginal prolapse, which is the rectum bulging forward into the b- yep. back wall of the vagina. And you oh. can have the uterus sitting down a little bit lower as well. Scary okay. stuff. And you can have two or more. You can have multi organ prolapse.
2: Yeah. Okay. But you can it's get scary, rectal but also prolapse like as well. Said. Mm. That there's stuff that could be done. Yeah, true. To mm. do it, yeah. so yeah. it's kind of like yeah. if something's feeling like it's not quite in the right place, mm. go and see about it. Absolutely. Once again, I'm
0: very disappointed in evolution that we actually potentially end up in this situation in the first place. <laughs> mm, I know, right? I know. <laughs> okay, but that's that's it. That's where we're at. So, um, yeah. So, sorry. Were there, were there Step- any other lifestyle factors
3: that you wanted to add yeah. in? So your exercise choices. So, oh, great. Like doing it. Like talk, talk eight, me through eight, this. Yeah, so you get two spectrums. You get the women who may have very kind of mild or moderate prolapse that are symptomatic and they therefore do not exercise because they're so scared that they're going to make their prolapse worse, mm, Yep. which unfortunately you know, we have to bring your general exercise back up for other reasons, your cardiovascular and your bone health. Remember at the start, Mm -hmm. I mentioned cardiovascular and osteoporosis. They are two big long-term consequences of menopause. So you can't just not exercise, (laughs) but it's important to be choosing, if you do have prolapse or pelvic floor dysfunction, choosing some pelvic floor safe options for your exercise so that you are still having a good outcome for your bone health and your muscle health and your heart health and your lung health, etc. Yep. but you're not doing things that are going to cause that prolapse to worsen quicker than like what it would do. a star do over time. jump or a burpee. Yeah, those are really high, like high-impact exercises, aren't yeah. they? So, so midlife
0: gymnastics is
3: not ideal, is it? <laughs> Drunken cartwheels. It, it's all very, and this is where I really don't like blanket statements because I think that yeah, every woman yeah. is very different and that's yeah, why I'm a huge yeah. advocate for seeing your GP to have be assessed and talk about, you know, yeah. what are some medication mm. options that might be hormonal, it might be non-hormonal, but also seeing your physio because we are so well placed to assess that person as an individual based on mm, yep. that woman's goals of what she wants to be able to do mm, and then we can go we'll match that her up.
2: background yep. her makeup her what she's already
0: exercised yes. and yeah so you can't say definitively that there's particular exercises across the board that generally are good to
3: participate in pelvic floor exercises <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> um, a, they mess with mess with my head, oh all my that gosh. stuff. So yeah. I started telling the story before, but I've just remembered it again, is when I was pregnant and we were living out at the farm and I was by myself and there was no kind of back then, there was no pregnancy yoga or anything around me. So then I got this Pilates DVD for pregnancy during Pilates and, oh, my gosh, so I'm sitting there in front of the TV. I've put the DVD, no, the disc in or whatever it was. And I'm sitting there and there's this lady going, okay, now I want you to shut the elevator doors and take it up to the first level. (laughs) (laughs) She's just sitting there looking out at me and I'm sitting there looking at the television, shutting my elevator doors and <laughs> taking it up to the first level. And honestly, I just burst out laughing. It how, most, far is, how far is the, the first loop? level? Well, or then there know, was like, a second level. I think oh. it was a two-storey building. <laughs> Steph was just saying it has a front wall and a back wall, but apparently it has it's a, a storeys H- as well. Just, yeah. We've been
0: listening, if we've been listening.
2: So, Steph, with some of these conditions, is there a lot of treatment, like you've touched on the losing weight and lifestyle etc. Do you think a lot of people don't go and get diagnosed because they're concerned that the only fix is surgery or also that they're just too embarrassed? Both of those things I
3: I see come through. It's just I think an outcome of the area that we're talking about and perhaps generations yeah. past of being told, "Oh, it's just normal."
2: Yep. Yeah. That whole stoic, just get on with it. Just get that on with we're it. Really mm. fighting back about,
3: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. fighting back against. And
3: mm. it's not our mothers or grandmothers' fault because probably no, at the God. time there wasn't, there wasn't doctors that knew about it or yeah. talked yeah, about it or right. even knew what to look for. But I think mm. now that we're definitely living in a very scientific age and. and not just a medical age, but really working with patients from a biological and psychological and social perspective, we need to let women know that it is okay to ask those questions because everything could be fine, but maybe it's not and you're better off coming
2: up with a plan. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. Knowing your options. Yeah, true.
2: Eden, when we were talking about, um, in your introduction, you mentioned pessaries. Pessaries, Pessaries, yeah. And I've heard a story about prolapse and pessaries. Can you explain how they actually work? Because I was quite fascinated. Mm. So a pessary is a device. It's
3: made out of a medical grade silicon. So it's quite squidgy without being squishy, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all different designs, styles and sizes of pessaries. The most common that people may have come across are ring pessaries. So they literally look like a thin donut. Like there are actually donut yeah. pessaries as well, which look like a donut. But um, ring That's
2: concerning.
3: There <laughs> that's are... marketing for you. <laughs> Ring pessaries and cube pessaries are probably the oldest types of pessaries, but there are yeah, a couple of, I don't know how many, 10 or 20, maybe 30 different designs now. And um, obviously different sizes, et except- And then different sizes within each of those designs, yes. Wow. And its purpose is to re- reduce the symptoms of prolapse and to help support those pelvic organs better in your day-to-day life and exercise. So the symptoms of prolapse, which we didn't talk about, were a, heavy, a heaviness in the vagina or a sense of a dragging in the vagina, mm-hmm. Yep, or a lump or a bulge, this sensation that there's a bulge there. Um, and some women also report it's like there's a tampon that's in the way, it's kind of sitting too low, or they're having discomfort with intercourse. And those can be some signs that you may have a prolapse. And pessaries then would look at, you know, if I'm fitting a patient for a pessary, we would go well. How much, you know, how much does those symptoms? How much does that bother you? How bothersome are those symptoms for you? And then we put a pessary in. Okay, walk around, do a few things. How does that mm. feel? So do the you pessary
2: actually them? gets inserted into the vagina. It does get inserted into the vagina. Yes. So what? It, what is it designed to do inside the vagina? It sits in there and just holds things up. Holds the roof up. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, oh. and the walls. How, how long do they last? So
3: we would recommend replacing a pezzeri every year if you're going to be using it ongoingly. I'm sure they could And does could it stay in there the whole
2: time or do you take it out and wash it or what It goes depends on? on
3: the type of pessary, Tricia.
2: Um, yeah, okay. Ring pessaries, the standard ring
3: pessaries can be in for a week and then you take them out and wash them and then leave them out overnight and then you put them back in the next morning. Yeah. Um, that's very different that's to a cube amazing. pessary which you have to take out every night and wash every night. And then yep. leave it out overnight before putting it back in. And those are general oh. guidelines. And again, they may differ patient to patient, but those yeah. are generally what we follow in practice, um, unless someone, unless, say, a gynecologist has said something different and, and given a yep. clearance for a different timeline.
2: So mm-hmm. when I went to the female physio, because I hadn't met Steph at that stage and when I was getting my pelvic floor fixed because of my backache, the lady was telling me all about pessaries and I found it just fascinating because I had not no mm. idea or heard of them before. And she was talking to me and telling me that, you know, she has some elderly clients and, and you know, like in their 80s and this gorgeous lady had told her the story. Her husband came in and said, thank you so much for that pessary. And she was like, what do you mean? And he's, because they still enjoy sex. And he said that because of his ageing and not being able to... Um, Here we go. How are you going <laughs> to explain? I'm. Aren't you, Steph? Okay, I'm well, him with not being able I'm to waiting. maintain an erection for the whole duration of them making love. <laughs> the pessary held everything up, so therefore he was able oh. to maintain. There wasn't as much pressure, so they could both enjoy it more. So he was very thankful. So I just think that... Uh, did he give that story to the receptionist? <laughs> <laughs> no, to the physio. I think that she may have told her physio that her husband was thankful. I don't know, Melinda. You just don't make me feel uncomfortable. But, yeah. So, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen,
0: <laughs> oh, I, it's great. It's great to see that Oh my God, out yeah. there. No, 100%. Yeah. Hey, we're there. We're in midlife. Yeah. There's one all day so when you're 80... <laughs> You're going to think about that story so steph we're interested is it true that unlike some other menopausal symptoms such as hot flushes and night sweats which do ease and then cease over a um, time period pelvic symptoms persist or continue to progressively
3: get worse unfortunately that is true oh, no! I wish so true. a lot of those like we call them vasomotor symptoms so the hot flashes the night sweats They are generally shorter term and do do tend to resolve. But those urogenital symptoms, they tend to occur a little bit later and they generally don't improve with time alone. You generally need to be actively treating to get improvements in those
2: symptoms, yeah. Medical or physio intervention. Yeah, or a combination, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. so
0: it's maintenance, isn't it, just trying to keep your pelvic floor really healthy and strong and dealing with any other issues along the way, Mm -hmm. looking at hormones. Okay, wow. So,
2: Steph, when you were talking before about, you know, the position of the (laughs) bladder, the position of the bowel, oh, no, 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 prolapse, and then... So a lot of times, ladies may have to have, for whatever reason, could be medical, could be physical, a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And then, or they may have to have some sort of reconstructive surgery. And I remember seeing some stories in the news a few years back about bladder slings. So, you know, they had, maybe they had a hysterectomy and then they had a sling put in to keep their bladder lifted and in place. And the stories were that the, material that they were using for the bladder sling was actually, their bodies were rejecting it, it was getting an infection. And in this one case, I think it was a 60-minute story, the infection actually, they couldn't take the bladder sling out and the infection actually killed the woman. So I think a lot of people were a bit frightened by mm. all of that. Mm. Has that improved? Are you still hearing those nightmare stories or is, is, has it changed or improved? So or was that just a very odd case?
3: I mean, that's a very, that is an extreme case, isn't it? And that's, that sounds yeah.
2: awful. I'm so sorry that that
3: happened to that yes. lady Fruitful and family. Story. By way of background and just to clarify... And um, I mean, I know you're not a surgeon, so... No, no, that's okay. Sort of so view, basically but... you're talking about a bladder sling, which is like a ribbon of mesh that's used yeah. to treat the stress urinary incontinence. So I leak when I laugh, I leak when I cough, I leak when I sneeze... There's still a good operation for those stress urinary incontinences that have not responded to conservative treatment. Yep. Um, okay. Yep, they are, but th- that you will see if you go to the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, you can go to that yes. website and look up treatment options for stress urinary incontinence and you'll see yep. in there those surgeries, the bladder sling surgeries, and you'll see the long list of considerations.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah. got you.
3: Because a, yeah. a bladder sling is designed to be permanent in the body, it's designed to be there forever. Mm. Uh, and mm. so if those complications happen, n- not all of them are that extreme, you know, infection and, and yes. death. Yes, yes. But certainly they are, can be a big impact on quality of life.
2: And mm. I guess there's always that risk, you know, they
3: always... With any with surgery. surgery. But then also, oh. you know physios we treat those patients who have those complications so we we see that all the time and that's what our role is is to work with the patients to come up with a management plan to Mm. effectively improve their symptoms and improve their quality of life if they have had a complication from that type of surgery. The things that have been banned and are no longer performed in Australia are the transvaginal mesh surgeries to repair prolapse
2: so, oh, okay. okay, maybe maybe I'm getting confused, but I thought yeah. it was something to do with a bladder swing, but yeah, no, that it, was it with it, the mesh. The whole thing originated from a bladder sling in the States
3: that went bad. Right, okay. okay, yeah. But in Australia, when we look at the studies and the research, it was the transvaginal mesh, so like a piece of mm-hmm. mesh that was inserted through the vaginal wall to, to repair prolapse. They have okay. been discontinued due to the okay. high, well, the rel- statistically... yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not sure how I'm, if the I'm describing it the good. correctly, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. the bad no, you was are. outweighing the good in, in a, a significant number of patients enough that when you statistically analyze the data, they went, actually, you know what, we're going to not yes. do these transvaginal mesh yeah. operations. So when you, if you have prolapse and a surgeon is talking about a repair, he's, he's not? they're not talking about using mesh exactly. anymore but you should definitely okay. still be asking questions about how and okay you know is there Thank any you. mesh That's involved? so interesting yeah. i definitely so recommend the- patients go and look at that website that australian yes. commission on safety and we can put and quality that if you will healthcare. send that we'll
2: put absolutely we'll put that on our show notes so yeah. that because there a, a it's, it's to written that.
3: for patients and it is it is good documents that have all the treatment options for pelvic organ prolapse and for stress urinary incontinence. And so you can go through and you can read all your treatment options and it's got a list of questions that you might decide to ask your surgeon if you're talking yep. to a specialist and those considerations of surgery. Highly recommend patients read those if you, if you have been diagnosed with those conditions.
0: So if um, any of our 50ish tribe are listening and thinking, okay, yep, that's me, quite a few of the things that Stephanie has talked about are symptoms that I am living with, mm. step us through what they should do first. Is it to go to a physio first or is it to go to a GP first?
3: It's an interesting question and I think it may depend upon who you ask because you don't need a referral to see a physio. You can, you are welcome to come in my in my doors, into my room at any point in time. And any women's health physio, for that matter, you'll find we're a pretty passionate group of people. But for me, I really like that the patient has gone to see their GP. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Maybe particularly for prolapse symptoms, um, only because if we are talking about prolapse and we're thinking about a pessary, for example... I want some medical confirmation that I am just dealing with a prolapse and I'm not dealing Mm -hmm. with anything a bit more nasty Uh, than that. Sinister.
2: Okay. Yeah. 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 Like when I went in for my backache, I had been to a GP as well. So I guess they can rule out anything else that might cause the backache or they could do blood. So you know where your hormones are at. So exactly.
3: And the other big thing is lots of women do tend, well, I don't know if that's true when you read statistics, but there still seems to be a bit of a block against hormone replacement therapy. I think that that comes from couple
2: of decades ago? When yeah, there was, yeah we are, we've discussed that on the podcast at okay, different yeah. times. And yeah. I think it was, you know, back in the day when, you know, it was linked to cancer, etc. But the thing that people need to realise now is that they don't just increase the estrogen, estrogen, sorry, they increase the progesterone as well, which is potentially what wasn't happening years ago that caused the issues with breast cancer. So now it's, you know, as with everything, they're more Technically advanced and just have, yeah, and research is mm-hmm. yeah, so I think, much. Yeah.
1: yeah. But I think, I still it's important think you're right to, that
3: there yeah. is that hangover, it's a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I don't really want to do HRT, but I think it's still an important conversation to have with your doctor, even mm-hmm. if you still decide against it. It is absolutely your body, your choice. Mm, but yep. the statistics are quite different now. And if you look at something like a topical estrogen, so a, um, just a cream, cream, yes, that's, mm. that's estrogen only into those tissues, and so there's really. That's a very safe form of HRT if what you're dealing with is those dryness, um, prolapse symptoms, urinary symptoms, because that's what's lacking in the area. You don't have estrogen in those tissues.
2: Yeah. With that, like the estrogen cream, could you literally kind of not rub it on yourself downstairs, but would you put it kind of like on your lower tummy or something like that so it would be more directed or does it just get into your bloodstream wherever you rub it? So the topical
3: estrogens, like Ovestin and yeah. Vagifem are applied directly to those tissues. So you apply them. Okay. They're often yeah. um, provided with a little applicator, so it's like a pessary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah, you right. insert it into the vagina, oh, wow. and it delivers it locally mm. to those tissues. Yep. Mm. And so you can see why you would. It's uh, so beneficial to go and talk to your GP first about some of these yeah. things
1: yes because yeah, it can be so helpful then
3: you go to your women's health physio well i've seen my gp they think it could yeah. be prolapse they've ruled out that there's nothing medical else going on they've examined yes. me mm. they've prescribed mm. some ovestin, um and i've started that but i'm here because i i'm still leaking when i cough and i feel like there's a bulge in my vagina yeah. and so we can go Something, yeah. right you know it's yeah. almost a bit of a Phew, right and we can yeah. really um move forward and And focus on And ladies, I'm here to
2: tell you that the internal examination was much less painful and uh, less confronting than a pap smear.
0: Well, there you go. Mm. Yeah. There you go. That's good news. Now, Steph,
2: I know that you're not a gynaecologist, nor are you a surgeon, but we touched on it a little bit, and I'm perhaps digressing, but that's what I do. Hysterectomy or not to hysterectomy. I've had some friends and a lady I used to train with, Said that she didn't know why she waited so long. It was the best thing she ever did in her life. Yet a yeah. lot of advice is hold off as long as you can because you may be physically, what you can do from an exercise point of view may be limited going forward. What's your experience with potentially rehab patients that you've had after having a hysterectomy? What's your thoughts? I guess it's obviously a. Depends on the patient kind of it situation. It totally does. So I think my
3: first answer was going to be it depends. I <laughs> know on... <laughs> <laughs> I picked
2: it. Sorry,
3: um, I took it. So I guess there are there are benefits to having your uterus there, and from yes, a physio okay. point of view, it's very useful when you're trying to fit a pessary. It just yes, makes it them awesome. more successful when when you don't have your uterus there anymore. It makes it much yeah, harder. How, how
2: would that work? How would you use so it a pessary well, if there's no... Well, when you when they take the uterus out,
3: they take the cervix as well. And your cervix yeah. is kind mm. of kind of in the roof of your vagina. And so you lose okay. a little bit of the top of your vagina as well. Okay? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So then when they take the uterus out, you've, so you don't have everything falling out, they make a new roof. So we call it a cuff and they just fold yeah, the tops yeah. of the vagina onto each other. And then they stitch that up onto one of the ligaments inside your pelvis. Wow!
2: wow. Yeah, and so funny. I've never had that mm. explained to me. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah.
3: So when there is a cervix there,
2: I don't know if it's to do
3: with the angulation or the positioning. It just kind of helps pessaries to just sit and stay.
2: Yeah, got you. Yep.
3: Yeah. When there's no uterus, it, it is a lot harder. Yeah. So that's. Purely selfish point of physios because it's easier for us <laughs> if you have your yeah. uterus. <laughs> yeah. That um, makes sense, yeah. But the other interesting thing is that uh, having a hysterectomy does increase your odds of incontinence by almost up to 20%. So, wow. Yeah, there are some benefits to having a uterus. However, it really depends on why they're taking it out. If you have a, a yes. really prolapsed uterus or if you have significant bleeding and, and you're getting um, anemic... Yeah, you've got yes. you've got to treat the thing that is causing the most amount of distress both on the the person physically but also taking into account their emotions and feelings and psychological state as well. So, I think it's a really interesting topic, but I don't think that there's a clear answer yet. Yeah,
2: it's just once um, again that individual weighing up the pros and really cons. It really is, and that's why I think yeah. it, you know, it's it's that individual
3: patient, you have to talk to that patient and ask the questions. You have to find out what their goals are and figure out what their s- state is at the moment so that they can make an informed decision about yeah. their body. Oh, my mm. gosh,
2: Steph, you uh, have been absolutely fascinating. Yeah,
0: I know. It's totally fascinating. But as you said before, it's it's like an individual plan. Yes. Like when you were answering my question about are there general exercises that, you know, we should all be doing you know, basically, no, because all different forms of exercises are going to work for all different women. Yeah, different I guess it's a, yeah, you we should
3: conditions. still be trying to aim for our World Health Organization guidelines of exercise. And that's yeah. a cumulative total of 180 minutes of cardiovascular exercise. So something that makes me get a bit puffed. And then mm-hmm. two sessions a week of strength based work. So resistance training, weights, or Pilates, yep. or things Good like for the that. Bones and mm. if we are over 50 which is your target Us. audience uh, they <laughs> yes. should also be doing one session per week of balance retraining so balance exercises yes okay mm. there's a lot to fit in so there that are guidelines <laughs> but as yeah. to very which, busy ladies <laughs> um, yeah. there are guidelines but it's as to which exercises you do within each of those categories that's very patient dependent
0: yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look, we, we're starting to get short on time, unfortunately. Yeah, and I just want to... No no, 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 no. No, I love it. No, I, it's awesome. It's been fantastic. It's so but I just wanted to touch on, because we talked about, right at the start, we talked about ligament, about our ligaments. Is there anything, I, I don't know whether ligament health is actually a term, but is there anything that we could be doing in midlife and at this stage of life to protect and strengthen
3: ligaments as well? I don't know if you can really talk about strengthening ligaments, but you would certainly be looking at Um, strategies that optimize connective tissue health so unfortunately it's all the things that we already know good amount of water so are we getting enough fluid in our diet are we making good choices you know with our food choices and fiber Um, and getting enough of those like uh, fish oils amino acids um, okay yeah those essential amino acids and it's Mm. a little bit beyond
2: my scope of Understanding, yeah, but, but that does answer yeah. that does answer
3: my question though.
0: And at the
2: moment, there's quite a lot of buzz about collagen. Hmm. Is, does that help with the ligaments? Because that that's high probably,
3: in ligaments, yeah, isn't probably, it? It's found yeah. in like all those connective tissue structures and yeah. um, tendons and, and things like that. So I think you can go either way with your menopause. You can either become a bit lax and it does soften. Yeah. But for some mm. women, they go the opposite and everything does get quite stiff and fibrotic. Yeah. Okay. So again, not a blanket rule for everyone.
2: I think I've got a bit of both going on. I've got <laughs> that kind of stiff and tight feeling and then my belly's kind of got the looser feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tick a few boxes there. Steph, okay. thank you so much for your time. It's just an honour to chat to you. You are so intelligent, and yeah. interesting. <laughs> and knowledgeable. Well articulated. I am in awe. more. For our wrap-up question, we normally ask what advice the 50-ish Steph would give her 20-ish self. <laughs> self but um, clearly you're closer to 20 than you are 50. But what would be the key takeaway? What advice would you give to all of us 50-ishers about the pelvic floor? That one key message from today that you'd like everyone to take note of
3: be kind to yourselves there are many things that you cannot control but there are lots of things that you can and so reach out and ask the questions so that you you can find out what you can do to be kind to yourselves brilliant
2: nice yeah
0: absolutely that's that's a common message that's coming through as well in answer to that question i think Um, we
2: all know collectively that we are very unkind to ourselves
3: quite a lot
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, And as you said, Steph, there are a lot of things that we can't help, Mm. you know.
3: Yeah, we can't stop menopause.
0: (laughs) No, we can't stop. Well, it's natural, isn't it? It So it is is actually what's supposed to happen, you know, supposed to happen in the body. So
2: thank you so much for joining us today. So, if you need this extraordinary young woman in your life, we will put links to her practice in our show notes. So, check it out. And for those of you in Southeast Queensland, you'll be very happy. Yeah, exactly. Me or my, um,
3: I've got a brilliant colleague, um, Emily Cowling, who I work with, and she is my mentor. So, oh, okay. oh. don't brilliant. worry if they're saying, no, you can't get into Steph, but I can get you in with Em. Yeah, yeah, she has her master's, so she is a titled women's health physio, and I'm on my way. Um, but we, yep. yeah, we, we work together, and we love what Brilliant. we do. That's amazing. So, Steph,
2: on that, for ladies that aren't in this area, mm. where is there a, a, a association, or where mm. could they find a, a governing female body? specific? physio that would be recommended. So I think if you go to
3: the Australian Physiotherapy Association website, yes. you can look up, you know, physios who may be titled in yeah, women's okay. health. Specialists. Yeah. All right. Specialists. Well we will That's do the brilliant.
2: research, ladies, and we will find the links for you. Yeah, but once again, absolutely. thank you, gorgeous lady. You're That's welcome. it from
0: us today. Don't forget you can follow us on Instagram at don't give a fifty or email us at hello at do AU and remember our gorgeous fifty issues. Life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we are all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege.
2: And remember, ladies, you just don't go to the physio and get better. You have to do your exercises.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Steph. See you next week, Steph. Bye. Bye. (laughs)